After what was an incredibly busy last week for Toronto FC and Major League Soccer in general, things have quieted down a little bit this week as we approach the start of training camp. But that's just fine for us here on the Footy Talks podcast because it gives us a little time to dig a little bit deeper into the chaos of the past couple days around Toronto FC circles. My name is Mitchell Tierney and today on the show we will cover a variety of topics from Digging deeper on Toronto FC's new manager, Ali Curtis, to fashion and soccer a little bit later with Waking the Red photographer, Tegua Moyo. But first, I thought uh, it made sense to get some first-hand perspective on Toronto FC's newest hire. Russell McKenzie covered the New York Red Bulls during the Ali Curtis years for Empire of Soccer and Last Word on Sports, among other outlets. Um, We've brought him on here to get a little bit of a better idea of what we can expect from Toronto FC's newest GM. Russ, thanks for joining the show. Hey, no, no worries at all, Mitch. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's not every day someone reaches out to a semi-retired soccer journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but yeah, it, uh, like I said, uh, the the fact that you are one of the you know the people who has firsthand experience with Ali Curtis and and saw the organization uh, you know a little bit deeper during the time. Uh, when he was in charge, it just made a lot of sense, and uh, I wanted to get your 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 initial thoughts when you heard that Toronto FC had hired um, Ali Curtis because the, they are two different organizations in the sense that you know Toronto FC is a a club that's been very willing to go out and spend money on big flashy names, whereas uh, New York's uh, you know it's not like they haven't made investment, but they they invest money in different ways and kind of spread it out throughout the team and have maybe more of a uh, you know, organizational structure from top to bottom than Toronto FC has had in recent years. So, uh, what did you make of Toronto FC going with Ali Curtis as as their fifth ever general manager? I think it's a, I think it's an incredible hire for them. Um, it, you know, with Ali Curtis, you're getting a certain, uh, you're getting a certain uh, way of running a team um, mm-hmm. that. 300 or 500 page plan. I can't remember how many pages it was, but uh, he he mentioned this in his first press conference as, uh, as Red Bull sporting director, and um, <clears throat> it exists. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he believes in it. Uh, so what Toronto is getting, uh, yeah, it, yes, New York Red Bulls right now is not the type of team that's going to go out and splash money around. Absolutely. Um, however, they were once that team. I, I mean, mm-hmm. at one point uh, you had Rafa Marquez and uh, Thierry Henry, and then Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill um, are on on the team. They spent the money. I mean, they spent a lot of money mm-hmm. um, on players. And just like Toronto, well, unlike Toronto, they never they did not bring home an MLS Cup. Uh, they didn't. They their first piece of hardware was in 2013, before Ali Curtis was even there. Um, so when Ollie Curtis got hired, uh, you know, by the New York Red Bulls, uh, it didn't so much turn some heads as, uh, it was, I wonder what's going to happen next kind of thing. And the first thing he did was fire his head coach, uh, (laughs) and pretty much, and pretty much everyone else on the sporting side. I mean, everybody was gone. Um, anyway, 
so that I mean that that was where we that was where he started, um, and he brought in people that would buy into his system. So wh- that's what Toronto's gonna, go- going to presumably get, if, unless Ali Curtis has had a very big change of heart. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, which which obviously makes things very interesting because Toronto FC is a club that, you know, in many ways is going to start transitioning in the next couple of years. They they kind of have to is um, the the big three, so it's kind of been referred to of designated players, Michael Bradley, Sebastian Javinko, Josie Altidore. They all start to age out and all three expire in terms of their contracts after this year. Um, how do you see Ali Curtis? As you said, he's someone who's not afraid to make bold moves. How do you see him handling this designated player situation? Because um, it, it's already even last year there were there were some cracks, and, and the players uh, said some things about the contract negotiations. And um, I think there's there's some concern here, I guess, about in, in Toronto, I guess, about those players going forward and and how the situation is going to turn out. Well, uh, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, <laughs> when he was at New York Red Bulls, uh, Thierry Henry was already had already decided he was going to retire. Um, mm-hmm. So there wasn't really, and Tim Cahill was already had already had a foot out the door. Uh, he was terrible anyway um, <laughs> at that point. So it's anybody's guess what he's going to do. Uh, my 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 educated guess if. Uh, you want to buy into the system and buy into what they what TFC is going to start building. Um, it's you get to stay. If not, you can find someplace else to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, that's what you're going to look at with Harley Curtis. I mean, there's a reason that there, there's a whole reason that uh, Red, Red Bulls changed the, uh, just standardized their system from top to bottom. Um, and and that started with Ali Curtis and and then his next co- his coaching hire with Jesse Marsh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of our large contingent of Australian listeners who aren't going to be very happy with those Tim Cahill comments. But that is fair enough. He did kind of well, check out late in his uh, Red Bull tenure. Look, look, just just as a side, just as a side as a side piece, I I have. I have a lot of respect for Tim Cahill as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. The fact the fact is, uh, he because he went because he spent so much time with the Australian national team, as he should have, he lost the narrative of the season, mm-hmm. and and that's why Tim Cahill was was a problem at the end. Anyway, there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Over with the Australian yeah, I'll have to check the numbers, see if we even have any. I'd be somewhat surprised, but um, um, yeah, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about sort of the, the academy uh, side of things, because obviously um, when you think of the New York Red Bulls, that's one of the first things that pops into a lot of fans' minds, considering uh, what they've been able to do even through Red Bulls too, and the whole development system, and um, you, you've you touched on it a little bit, but this is kind of the the big thing that's been focused on with the Ali Curtis hire is how he was kind of able to align the Red Bulls system in such a way. How much did he really play into kind of the academy's success? Because uh, I know when we were talking uh, a little bit before, um, you mentioned you know Tyler Adams, guys like that, Matt Miazga, they were already in the system or, yeah. or some in some cases already sold by the time uh, Ali Curtis got there. But it, it you know what did uh, what did he bring in that that changed things so much? The the standardization of system, right? Mm-hmm. 
So the difference the difference became there was a path to the senior team. There still is. So somebody like Tyler Adams um, can come up. You know, uh, Tyler Adams, who was in the system from the time he was something like ten years old or something like that, uh, and he came up through the academy, uh, played for the you know uh, the U U fourteens and the U sixteens, and then uh, eventually got to. Uh, eventually signed a pro contract, and uh, he spent his entire first season as a pro in, uh, in U- the USL side, and that's where he that's where he really cut his teeth. And it, it, the the result has been been palpable. Uh, he he's over in Leipzig right now, uh, impressing a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because uh, he's he's part of that kind of part of that kind of progression. Um, Aaron Long. Aaron Long is a good, uh, a good pickup. Um, that's a good, that, that's a good example of a of a diamond in the rough. And he won MLS Defender of the Year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it, what you're getting. What you're getting with Ali Curtis again is a standardization system. Uh, it's going to start with it's going to start with the fo- a focus on the academy. Um, I I don't know how how uh, involved Toronto FC is in, in their community, but there's going to be a there's going to be a renewed focus on community outreach, and and what's going to um, it's, again all this is conjecture. Uh, I can tell you because that's what happened with New York Red Bulls. There was an there was an incredible outreach in the community, and players got signed to, uh, to homegrown homegrown contracts. And a lot of it, a lot of people are local. Um, you, that's really what you're, what you're going to start looking at. Um, and again, anyone who doesn't want to be part of that system can go find themselves another job. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's literally that black and white. He's, he's an uncompromising man. Um, but again, it will benefit Toronto in the long run because I know there's been challenges with the academy and the USL side um, there, and there really isn't a clear path to the senior team. Um, expect all that to change. Expect yeah, you, all men- that to change. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that it's it's kind of his way or the highway, um, which kind of gets into. Uh, a little bit the why he left the New York Red Bulls because obviously the success on the field I mean two Eastern Conference champion or at least Eastern Conference uh, you know finishing top of the Eastern Conference in his two seasons and then the supporters shield as well um, <clears throat> results alone you you definitely don't get you know uh, you don't move on from an organization f- for that so um, wh- what do you kind of know about why Ali Curtis uh, left the New York Red Bulls and and kind of the situation around that well, without blowing up anybody's uh, without blowing up anybody's spot, mm-hmm. um, the rumor is um, that he wanted to trade uh, Dax McCarty um, after uh, at, at the end of the at the end of the season, um, and well, uh, Jesse Marsh didn't want to trade Dax McCarty, mm-hmm. and that's why he got and 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 the. The mothership, Salzburg, um, mm-hmm. sided with Marsh. 
Hmm. And uh, that's why Ali Curtis was uh, uh, agreed to leave the team, as it as the case as the case may be. Um, you know, looking at how that that 2016 season worked out, uh, I would have to agree with Curtis' assessment of where Pat McCarty was on on the uh, uh, you know it was this it was an idea of sell hot. Uh, mm-hmm. And he will do that every time. Uh, he will get get players to where they need to be and sell them uh, high. Like I mean, Matt Miazga is a great example. Uh, Chelsea came; he, they they bought him for a lot of money, and uh, and and off went Miazga. Um, you know, and that's why he left. And uh, I without it, without knowing anybody, and without. Uh, Going too much into it, it mm-hmm. was, um, you know, it was a it was a front office struggle. It was a it, it was a uh, sporting side struggle. Yeah, even just mentioning the mothership uh, kind of shows how different, uh, you know, the Red Bull organization is from a, a lot of others in, in Major League Soccer. Although um, MLS in itself is, you know, very bizarre uh, organizationally. But um, yeah. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to talk or finally ask, uh, you know, why Why do you think it took Curtis so long to, to find another job? I mean, obviously you don't know his, his personal thoughts and, and all this sort of thing and whether or not, you know, there were offers on the table. But it was a couple of years before, you know, he, he obviously picked up another job and, and you know, comments from him are saying that he, he kind of waited for a perfect fit. So I guess um, kind of kind of. Uh, changing the question or, or having asking two questions, why did it take him so long and what about Toronto do you think um, interests him? Well, uh, I'll do the first, the second question first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toronto probably interested Ali Curtis because of the spotlight. Um, this man is not one to shy away from being front and center. I mean, he he went into the mouth of madness with a, a after Petke, after they fired Mike Petke, he went into the absolute mouth of madness uh, at a town hall and and defended himself and defended mm-hmm. his actions and defended the, the decisions he made, um, even with absolute insane supporters, you know, telling him not to say his name, don't say his name. <laughs> if if there if if you can find that video, anyone listening, if you can find the video of that first town hall after Pecky was fired, go <laughs> watch it. It's utter comedy. It's comedy. Um, that said, uh, I think I think the spotlight interests him. The the the, the stage itself. Um, you know, New York Red Bulls was is is part of an incredibly active. Uh, sports community in New York in the New York metro area. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that they play in Jersey. It's New York metro. Period. Um, the fra- the franchise has been around a long time. They've survived a rebrand. Uh, they they are they are flush with cash, even though even even though they choose not to use it all all, all the time. Um, Toronto is flush with money. I mean, they have money. Uh, they they paid they paid Juvinko they pay they they brought uh, Bradley and Altidore back to the states and paid them well. Um, the the roster is not cheap, um, and 
it's going to be a very interesting process to see, um, you know, what he does with the newfound, with his, with the newfound freedom that not having a, um, a, a corporate entity looking over his shoulder, uh, from across the seas is going to do, you know, um, I think probably why he took so long, uh, it's, you know, I think Ali Curtis is an incredibly honest person. Um, he, he will, he shoots pretty straight. Um, and yeah, it's coded and, uh, sort of, uh, encrypted the things he says, but it, but at the root, they're very honest. I think that he, he legitimately was looking and this was the right fit for him. Um, knowing what I having interacted with him and having spoken with him in the past, I, I would, I would say that he was, he was right on the money with just a, just a good fit. Um, you know, it's Toronto SC in a a lot of ways as an organization in transition. Um, they went out, they spent the money, they had the success last season was, 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 was a train wreck. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of, a lot of questions need to be answered there. Um, you know, you have this USL, this USL side, you do something with it. Um, and so, and, and those are the questions that Ali Curtis answers. Um, well, now you know what you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that that's not every, not every club wants that. Not every club can, has the infrastructure to, to do that. Um, Think about think about where uh, where Betsvitenko went. Columbus Crew. They don't have that kind of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as last I heard, that the, last I heard, their training ground is uh, in, a, uh, in a college uh, in, on a college campus, and they share a field with people. Um, so, and obviously, New York is not. New York Red Bulls are not that kind of organization. Toronto SC is not that kind of organization. Um, so it's, it was just a matter of, of it was just a matter of the fit, and I think that that uh, that Curtis has it right. Before I let you go, I wanted to just ask a couple of questions about the New York Red Bulls because they are such a fascinating organization within Major League Soccer. And uh, <laughs> the, the the first one I wanted to ask about was um, th- this new playoff format because obviously. You know they had another record-breaking season last year, and they've been, uh, in terms of regular season success, the New York Red Bulls have been probably the best team in Major League Soccer in the past, you know, five years or so. And they've, you know, obviously they, they lift the supporter shield a lot, but uh, haven't been able to lift MLS Cup yet. So if there if there was anyone who uh, the playoff format change would be interesting to, it would seem to be the New York Red Bulls. Um, do you think this format kind of helps them a little bit? Obviously it. Yeah, I guess it gets them a little closer to to lifting the trophy in terms of uh, knocking out some games that they would have to play previously. But uh, it also makes it, you know, as always, it makes it uh, reliant a lot on one game fixtures. If the Red Bull, if the current playoff format, the the upcoming playoff format was had gotten still one year earlier, uh, Red Bulls would have won MLS Cup. Hmm. Period. Um, so does it help them? Yeah, it does. <laughs> because if you win the supporter shield, if you win the supporter shield, you're home 
all the way through the playoffs. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, you're, you're home. Uh, you walk into Red Bull Arena and it's a fortress and that's and that's what they've that that's that's the culture that's the culture they have um, you don't they don't lose there they, they lose very very rarely um, it, it and it takes a, a, a mammoth performance by the opposing side to do it um, you know yeah they don't sell out games uh, sure they don't but but it's loud and you know, it's, they know that field better than anybody else on the planet. <laughs> so yeah, it, they would have won MLS Cup if that if, if uh, that playoff format had started last year. And I say that without really um, any kind of uh, uh, reservation. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I think the I think the new playoff format definitely helps them. Um, I think it helps a lot of clubs. Um, and it becomes less about having a uh, uh, having one really good performance and more about what what you're looking at as a whole. Um, it becomes less about it becomes less about trying to score on the road and mm-hmm. trying to remain defensive. And you know, uh, I, I I think it's a better I think it's a better format. Period. Also, yeah. it's done before Thanksgiving, which I'm. That's all true. About. Yeah, yeah, and less <laughs> international break interruptions. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's some drawbacks, I think, but uh, I would overall agree that there are more benefits, and it, hopefully, it just makes for uh, you know a playoff format that allows kind of the uh, some of the best teams to to have a better opportunity of winning and uh, equalizes it that way, which I think it it kind of does. Um, finally, just before we let you uh, we let you go quickly. Um, what can we expect from the Red Bulls this season? Because um, obviously, you know Jesse Marsh uh, has headed to the mothership, as you say. Um, uh, so has uh, Tyler Adams in a different way, and uh, you know the those are two very key parts of Red Bull in recent years. Um, you know what what can we expect? Obviously, coming off uh, as I said earlier, the the record breaking point season as well. Well, it's an, it's interesting that you mentioned this at the end because I'm going to go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali Curtis, um, one of the things Ali Curtis and Jesse Marsh set up was uh, was a next man in system, where you have uh, players getting developed in the USL side that c- could conceivably step into an MLS role. So Christian Casares uh, is going to step in, presumably going to step in to the the spot that's been left open by Tyler Adams' departure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, promotion, departure, I'm not sure how you want to say that. <laughs> um, but um, Christian Caceres is going to step in. The one thing that I find disconcerting is that um, their projected number three center back, who's Hassan Adam, uh, mm-hmm. got picked up in the expansion draft. And uh, that that leaves, I, I mean, wingbacks. They're very thin at wingback uh, beyond Kamar Lawrence and Michael Murillo. Uh, there's not a lot there. Connerly, I love Connerly to death. Um, great guy, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he's uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, fatherhood is is not showing well on him. Uh, <laughs> He didn't have a he didn't have a great postseason when when they called on him. So the frustrating so the frustrating thing is uh, how are 
how and, and there's not a lot going on as far as as far as a back line being uh being ready uh ready to roll uh death wise so that's really the that's really my concern right now I don't think they're going to have the success that they did um, last season, uh, but I think that they are going to be in the conversation as they always are. Um, you know, uh, Chris Chris Armis being there uh, for a full season, uh, it should be interesting um, how that's going to how that's going to evolve. Um, the interesting thing is, uh, if you look at the schedule. If you look at the MLS schedule for this year, uh, they're on the road a lot uh, towards the latter half of the season. Um, their first half is packed with games, packed with home games. But their their last half, a lot of what they're going to need to do uh, to secure a playoff spot is going to have to happen on the road. Um, it's all going to depend. It's really going to depend on how good a road team Red Bulls are. Um, last season they were pretty good. Um, they had that hiccup in the middle uh, when when Marsh left and and uh, and Armis uh, decided to use zone defense on uh, on set pieces, but we won't talk about that uh, because that is in the past. <laughs> um, it, it it should be an interesting it should be interesting to see how this season unfolds again. I don't think supporter shield is out of question, but I also don't think that they I also don't think it's going to be going, they're going to break any records. Um, especially since, you know, the teams around them have, have done, done work to retool. Uh, think about DC second half after, after Rooney showed up, mm-hmm. they're going to be they're They're going to be in the playoffs. I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be in the playoffs. So that top, the top, the top of the conference gets even more crowded. Um, it's all going to depend on on road form, to be honest. Well, uh, wishing you uh, less zone defending in the year ahead, and uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap oh, up the segment uh, the segment oh. of the show there. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, Russ. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I I really appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no worries, and uh, I'm sure. All the listeners will appreciate uh, just getting to know a little bit more about Ali Curtis because you know it all happened so fast. So uh, everyone's uh, you know everyone's been kind of set in their opinions and stuff. So maybe this will this will change a couple of them. But um, when we come back on the show, we'll talk to Waking the Red photographer Tegwa Moyo. We are back on the Footy Talks podcast with Waking the Red photographer Tag Moyo. Tag, how's the offseason been treating you? Uh, this one feels like it's been pretty long, doesn't it? My days, bro. It's It feels forever. I haven't, like, I'm craving shooting a game. It's been so long. I was shooting the Metro Stars um, on their season opener, and I was like, damn, I'm, I miss shooting footy. So I'm happy to be back. Yeah, f- fair enough. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, to be honest, some of the, like the off season the last couple of years has been like stupid short. So um, I appreciate it a little bit, but now I'm starting to starting to want to watch some MLS again. So um, thankfully, you know, training camps are, are just around the corner, so we're just about to get started. Um, I wanted to get some of your thoughts, uh, of course, because you're a bit more of a fan than I am. Obviously, as as kind of um, I'd say an educated still... fan. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, self-title yourself that. Um, but yeah, no, you, in the sense that, yeah, I'm kind of like a, a journalist, so um, I find it hard to, you know, certainly cheer for the team or anything like that. So I wanted to get kind of your thoughts on, on uh, you know, Tim Bezbachenko and, and how that all kind of played out and he the fact that he's leaving for Columbus to take a... Um, the president's role there and and the fact that Ali Curtis will now be coming in this is certainly something that I don't think uh, you know I, I definitely didn't expect to be talking about this offseason but um, makes everything very much more interesting going forward yeah I'm uh, the same way like I I was I was shocked um, more than anything I was shocked at first when I heard the news um, I, I wasn't I did like I was like why is he leaving like last season wasn't like if you if you think about it, it was bad at our standings, but we did well in the um, Champions League. So it's like it wasn't like all for nothing. But it at, I after like calming myself down a little bit and like always texting you about any TFC like breaking news, I kind of calmed down. And I was like, oh, I started to evaluate it. And it makes sense. It like it makes a lot of sense. Um, Columbus isn't like it's not like he's downgrading going to Columbus. Um, they had a good season. They had a good run last year. Um, so it, it makes sense. He's from there. Um, he's got those home ties. And with Cincinnati, like the um, Hell is Real or whatever they're calling their silly derby, um, I think it's like a good thing for him. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely going to you know boost soccer in Ohio in a big way now that they have um, you know, Columbus is is there to stay, which obviously wasn't a guarantee throughout the past season. And um, they have, you know, kind of a, a built-in derby as well now with Cincinnati coming in and they have some recognizable faces in the front office in Columbus. So, yeah, it's been a good couple of weeks for soccer in Ohio. Uh, does this change your kind of your thinking going into this season at all? Because, um, you know, I think uh, at least some Toronto FC fans are kind of concerned that having a change over midway through the offseason might, you know, kind of derail plans a little bit and, um, you know, kind of change some of the things that Toronto FC might have been working on under Tim Bezbachenko. But uh, I I can't say I share those concerns very much. Yeah, neither neither do I really. I um, it's not like It's not like Ali... I watched his press conference, right? So I was listening to what he's saying, and nothing he said um, left me to believe that he wanted to change the way that TFC is going, like that direction. It didn't seem like he wanted to rebuild. It didn't seem like he wanted to get rid of our pieces. And we lost him, but he's not like he's not our players, right? We still mm-hmm. have Sebo. We still have Josie, I think. Maybe you can tell me more about that because he's just so... he's more. I find him more confusing than Sebo because um, Sebo's like, see you soon in all of his Instagrams like once a month. But like Josie's just, <laughs> Josie's just quietly confused. But regardless, that's beyond the point. We still have those guys as far as I know, um, as far as we know. So it's, it's, it's like on the field, we're good. If not a little bit better, we have, we're stronger in the back line. Um, so I'm not too concerned about anything. And like I said, Ali doesn't seem like he wants to change much. Of course, with a new man, with, with a new personnel, things will change a little bit, but I'm not fearful that things will change for the worst. Yeah. I, I love, uh, Seba's Instagrams so much and it, <laughs> some of the, uh, yeah, he's just hilarious. 
he, I think he knows that like even the littlest comment can absolutely stir the pot. So he just goes for it, and it's pretty great. Um, like so, Seba, last... Seba could use like Sorry, a yellow emoji, and I'll be like, oh no, he's going to Columbus too. Yeah. Like that's that's a, yeah. that's where it's at right now. Like Seba has like all of TFC wrapped around his finger. He can do it whatever he wants, and I think <laughs> he knows that too. It's not like a language barrier thing. He knows that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious. Um, the last bit of TFC news uh, before we uh, kind of move on to, to our next segment is the fact that they did release the schedule this week, and we finally have a bit of an idea, um, you know, what Toronto FC is going to be, what, what their season is kind of going to look like this year, and um, some confusing start times. I know a lot of people weren't overly happy with the um, you know, with how things have, have played out in terms of the schedule. I haven't really had a chance to to fully look um, at the game so far, but uh, are there any games kind of briefly looking at the schedule that stand out to you so far as uh, maybe some dates for fans to, to circle on their calendar in terms of matches that are, are definitely can't miss this year? Yeah, well, um, like like you, I haven't really looked at... I took a quick look at the schedule um, when it came mm-hmm. up. I didn't look at really the times because to me it doesn't matter. I'll show up to the games. Um, but, um, <laughs> subtle flex, um, but yeah, I'm super stoked for the DC game in May 15. Um, man's like Rooney is going to pull up to Toronto. <laughs> Hopefully he's not going to be too heavily induced on sleeping pills. Um, but yeah, I am super stoked for that. We missed him by legitimately a week and mm-hmm. that hurt me so much. I missed shooting like Wayne Rooney by a week. So I think that one for sure is going to be um be one to watch and super exciting. It, it's kind of it's not like it's going to be similar for me. It's going to be sl- similar to Zlatan cuz he's both they're both like really really historic players. So it's going to be dope for them to kind of play in Toronto. And then of course, um July 13th, the Derby um <laughs> 4-1 you know I like myself a good derby um, against Montreal, so it's those are my two musty games. Um, I know Atlanta's coming around, but we slapped them up at the end of the season last year. I don't see why we won't do it again um, this season. So yeah, those are my two must-watch, must-shoot, exciting games. What about you? Yeah, I'll add in uh, the the fact that Cincinnati. Uh, for the first time ever, travels to Toronto on July 25th or 27th, rather. So that will be the, you know, the first time Toronto is going to get an opportunity to to play against that expansion side and an expansion side that's looking pretty sick so far. Kendall Waston, Greg Garza, um, they've added a lot of MLS veterans, so that could be a very solid side for for Toronto FC to to play against and and should be pretty interesting. Um, I feel like that's going to be like the location of. That's gonna be one of the best places to play. Like I want to go and shoot a game there, in Cincinnati. Yeah, they have a really they have a really cool like grassroots uh, um, soccer kind of thing going there. Like obviously in USL they were able to get pretty ridiculous fans out there. And I don't know, there's something about the color scheme too. Like orange and blue is like I don't know. It can be a rough look, but on their their kits, it's kind of sick. And if you have like an entire an entire stadium filled with it, it's pretty awesome. So I, I definitely agree. It's gonna be it's gonna be very cool to see them join MLS. And they seem like one of those. I don't know. It seems like a lot of the even if they have worked out a lot of the um, 
you know, they more go towards, um, you know, LAFC or Miami or these kind of big flashy clubs. But Cincinnati is one of those more like grassroots kind of mm-hmm. um, bare bones, you know, more, OG kind of. Kind exactly. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so about I, soccer. I they're like not that. about the big hoopla, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I like I like fan, flashy teams, but like it's also like I'm a fan of Everton. So if there's a team <laughs> that's gritty, that likes football with a passionate fan base like us Toffees, like I'm all for it. Um, their logo is trash, though. Uh, Cincinnati's? Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I just I had well, to put that up. Their color, well, like you said, the color scheme and everything is great. But, yeah, I I was un, unimpressed, to say the least. But I'm not a graphic designer, so I can't talk too much. Well, you are a photographer, and um, I kind of wanted to, uh, since there isn't, uh, as I said off the top, you know, a ton to talk about this this week in terms of overall soccer news in, in Canadian soccer circles. Uh, I wanted to to have a bit of a new segment, which is uh, kind of talk about the connection between fashion and soccer. Your you know your job as a photographer leads you to kind of into that space in the sense that you do some more brand type shooting for for companies like Adidas and that sort of thing. And in soccer. Soccer and fashion have kind of become more prevalent over the past couple of years, so I figured we'd chat a bit about that and talk about some kits and, and, and other things on today's show. Um, I want to start with with Toronto FC. You know, they're going to be releasing a new home kit this year, but um, what for you is is your favorite Toronto FC kit and why? Um, I'm, I'm torn between, between two kits, and they were back-to-back years. Um, mm-hmm. It was the 2011 Toronto FC kit with the collar, with the collar, um, like the blue color? No, uh, was it blue? No, it was like a white kit with red, like a red so- like red stripe uh, on the side or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I also like that 2012 Toronto FC home kit with the maple leaf on it. Mm, like, that's interesting. Like that one is one of my like favorite TFC kits. Like if I like I I go to there's some vintage stores in Toronto that I go to that have like mm-hmm. jerseys and they sometimes have MLS jerseys and I'm. If I see that, I don't care the price. Like that one, that one for me, there we go, is my favorite because it incorporates the flag so well, in my opinion. And it's not; it's still like a super simple look, which is which is I find super key, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, I think the uh, I think that one wasn't very well liked by fans just because it, it didn't look particularly great on on non athletic bodies, I guess you could say. So it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't the greatest fan kit, but I, I'd agree. It, on the field, it had some cool details and and that sort of thing. Um, what what for you kind of makes a makes a kit that that you really like? Is it kind of originality or color? Or, um, what for you are kind of some of the best soccer kits? Um, for me, I think what makes a kit, um, it has to have like it has to represent the the team. You know, it has to represent the squad. Um, mm-hmm. So like. My, my, like, like in this, this, uh, the past World Cup, the 2018, like, that Nigeria 2018 World Cup, um, green and white, um, jersey is so amazing. It's, like, it's probably one of the kits, one of the best soccer kits I've ever seen in my life. And not only Mm -hmm. that, that it's, like, visually appealing, but, like, it works perfectly with, like, Nigeria, the, the, their players, the players themselves, Awobi, they're, like, super fashionable. You can't give that, that, that jersey, I wouldn't say, like, if you were to put that in Croatian colors, it would look weird if Luka Modric <laughs> was wearing that, you know? You don't like the Modric bowl cut. 
like no I, I don't think he like you have to have like you have, it's it's a saucy jersey like but like jerseys have to like work well with the team um lafc i like their jersey as well um it's black it's simple with the gold um gives that flashiness it doesn't try too hard that's my thing it it, it doesn't it shouldn't try too hard the jersey um and i also like a collar jersey like if your jersey has a collar i know a lot not many anymore have it but like old school jerseys with collars on them fire me up <laughs> yeah you actually see like I don't know, a lot of the more, like, uh, I guess, designer soccer jerseys definitely have the collar on them. So um, I, th- I think you're not alone in that opinion. Uh, on the other end of things, what are, um, what don't you like when, when teams do in, in soccer kits? And, um, you know, what are some examples uh, of kits that you just, you know, just make you shake your head? Because there's definitely a lot <laughs> of them, I, I know. It seems like every year somebody's got an alternate kit that's just horrible. I mean exactly the, the exact opposite of what i said i like about kits if a kit is trying too hard or if it's just like not doing anything at all um it's like like the cardiff city it's just, it's blue and the biggest thing on that jersey is visit malaysia <laughs> like that jersey is so awful i don't know i think it's in a is it in a, i don't know who who i'm not even gonna say who it is because if it's adidas or nike I don't want to lose any possible working with, but it is just <laughs> awful. Um, there is so much that could have been done. Yeah, Cardiff, like, I don't know anything about Cardiff, but Cardiff's not in, like, why would you get Visit Malaysia and make that the biggest, most visible, noticeable thing on your on your kit? I also really didn't like Vancouver Whitecaps blue um, jerseys. I think they had it this last season with, like, that mini collar and buttons. That was awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Visit Malaysia is their sponsor, but it, it's true. Like, but that's the only the, the, thing you see. You don't see any yeah. detail to it. Like, like, like yeah. going back to like the, um, going back to the TFC Maple Leaf kit. You know, um, we still have our sponsor on there. You know, there's mm-hmm. ways to like showcase your sponsor. Like even not even that Manchester United. They have like Chevrolet or whatever it is, and that was their sponsor. And it's a yellow like bright yellow Chevy yeah. logo, but they still are able to make their jersey look nice. Regardless of like what what it is. So it's like they just didn't try with that visit visit um visit Malaysia um sponsorship. And and when you do stuff like that, it's like, yeah, it's it's a hard sponsor, but like work around it. Like I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just it's enough. just it grinds my gears how like how they got it so wrong <laughs> and like what has been such a good couple of years of jersey making i find yeah speaking of, of kind of those good couple of years especially the the fact that this was a world cup year um what brands do you think or like who's who's your chief brand in terms of making soccer jerseys because i know some nike yeah nike because uh-huh. soccer brands like they do different things well certainly like uh, i know there's boot preferences and and kit preferences so nike's your uh your kind of go-to in terms of the kits i like nike kits just because um fit wise i find like for me wearing them nike kits are dope um they fit well the dry fit and all of that but even i think nike's just produced some of the some amazing um some amazing kits for mm-hmm. for like their their teams and i'm happy and excited and patiently waiting 
and very patiently waiting to see what <laughs> Canada's new like jersey line with Nike looks like cuz Umbro was great, Umbro was good, but like Nike puts us to that next level of global like everybody sees it, everybody knows Nike. You can say Umbro to someone and they might not know who that is. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I'm certainly uh I also Very like Adidas, though. Adidas, I yeah. look forward to shooting with you guys this year. Um, <laughs> your kits are amazing. Everything is great about your kits. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Get that in there. Um, yeah, certainly uh, certainly agree on Nike, and I think, uh, I don't know, I, I full disclosure, I worked for Adidas for a time as well, so I have a bit of a bias towards, towards their kits and, and what they do. I just feel like uh, Adidas does a good job of kind of not ruining uh, kits. Like, they, they, they have such a they do such a good job of kind of making a kit feel classic, even if it's if it's modernized and updated. I agree with but, that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what Nike Soccer does for Canada because I find with Nike, it's kind of a. Um, this guy said I'm quite fine 50. with Nike. Get out of here! <laughs> Get out of here, bro! We came from Umbro to Nike. <laughs> you should be well, like, ecstatic. <laughs> Not what, I, fine. what I mean by that is is Nike can Nike can be you know they can obviously make incredible kits or they can just kind of stick you with a template like they did for for a couple of years like at the Euros the, the, all the kits were kind of the same. That's fair. Um, but uh, but at the World Cup they they kind of you know there was a lot of like customized parts of of the kits and like the France kits and um, yeah a lot of them looked really sweet. So uh, if Canada can get kind of that that group of Nike designers, then obviously it's very exciting. And like you said, just the brand itself, having that around Team Canada is is massive uh, with all the money they bring in and all the connections. I know U.S. soccer has has benefited greatly from kind of having Nike connections in terms of they can bring you to camps, and, and Nike has its own kind of youth showcase events as well mm-hmm. uh, around the world. So Canada having that connection is going to be pretty important, I think, going forward. Um, Wait, what are, what are about... your favorite kits though i want to know that i'm curious my favorite well my favorite tfc kit of all time is the black one the black with with the red and the the kind of like maple leaf pinstripes oh, um, yeah, i have yeah. one of those in in long sleeve and it's pretty sweet um so yeah i definitely i definitely like that one um overall i i don't know like i like i like brighter colors throwing you a um, curveball asking you the questions yeah exactly i yeah, went I, to I journalism like... school too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I definitely like. I don't know, brighter kits and and, and uh, you know, kits that that are kind of flashy. I'd agree. The Nigeria one definitely the best one at the World Cup. Uh, I love the Croatian one too, though. Like with the with the checkerboard yeah, pattern. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a classic kit. But see what I mean? That sure, fits so. them. Checkers. It's 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 a smart game. Yeah. Modric strikes me as a smart lad. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. And for sure, yeah, kits that kits that try too hard are um, are kind of where they go wrong, or just just too plain and too simple. Um, I find it kind of rare that uh, there's a blue, red, and white kit that looks amazing, but um, just because yeah, that's so true. Wrong. Iceland, Iceland has an awful jersey, and there's this yeah. blue, red, and white. <laughs> they always they always just get the color like. Those three colors can be put together very nicely, like Canada and Montreal, but um, they, they just always get the color mixing wrong, I find, with kits like that. And Toronto FC's had some blue, red, and white kits that weren't uh, 
weren't fantastic either. So, um, but the final question I wanted to ask you. Oh, um, Inter Miami is also my favorite jersey, even though they don't have a jersey. I just know it's going to be <laughs> just the color scheme. Continue eh? next. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, no, if they get that jersey wrong, I'm going to be very it's mad. It's impossible. Are, there is those no are way two David, colors that you can absolutely nail. There is no way David Beckham is going to allow their <laughs> jerseys to be trash. Yeah, well, well, Beckham was one of I think kind of one of the first kind of fashion and and soccer uh, guys, which which you know caused him some issues in his uh, in his <laughs> career. Um, but you know, thankfully, it's it's well more embraced now. And um, for you, who are some of the kind of the fa- most fashionable footballers and and soccer players you look to as as kind of fashion icons? And um, I thought maybe on TFC as well. Who who for you are, is the most fashionable guy on TFC or or some of them? Um, well, obviously, most fashionable is Vanderbilt. That guy. Yeah. That guy pulls up in a fire fit. That guy probably goes to bed in a nicer fit than all of us. <laughs> like, he sleeps. His pajamas are probably way nicer than everybody else's pajamas. Um, but Ashton Morgan is also, um, pretty swaggy. Um. Yeah, I think he has his own clothing line. Yeah, sure. I think so. Um, I'd also, outside of TFC... Um, Awobi, of course, Pogba, Pogba is super swaggy, and Tim Wea, um, or Wehi, or whatever, I don't know how to say his last name, but, um, Wea, yeah. my, my man who just moved to Celtic, let's go, he is extremely, um, swaggy, if you go onto his Instagram account, you wouldn't think he's a soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, those are uh, those are good choices. I, um, I always thought like the Greg Vanderbilt neck tattoo. Uh, when I first saw it, I was like, Ugh. and then when you like see it in person and and like with the full, it's like an accessory. Um, yeah, exactly. It looks sweet. So, um, definitely agree with you on Vanderbilt having the best style on TFC. I'm a big Hector Bellerin guy. He always whenever oh, I see yeah. him, he always makes me want to grow my hair back out to to that length but uh, he gets a happen. fit off what was that game like two weeks ago where i forget what it was but he was wearing those super small sunnies they were at like the <laughs> tip of his nose super like it was extremely silly but like yeah it looked really good <laughs> yeah he's got the the artist fit on, on very well um let's move on to to kind of the final thing we wanted to talk about and just because you and I were texting about this a lot this week in terms of how sweet it is, and that's uh, Alfonso Davies kind of taking his his first steps with Bayern in their in their um, I guess mid season camp you'd call it, considering they're they're in the winter break right now ahead of uh, returning to the Bundesliga, and kind of how awesome it's been to see a young Canadian player get so much of a spotlight with. Um, with Bayern Munich, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, the the club's definitely trying to market itself heavily into Canada now that they do have a a Canadian player who they can point to and and is very recognizable here. And um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's pretty awesome and seeing him, uh, seeing pictures of him alongside you know some of the best soccer players in the world and Aryan Robin and. Uh, and guys like that who who definitely you know if if Davies comes even close to being those players uh, I think a lot of us will be very happy um, you know what is that what has that kind of been like for for you to see um, that happen bro I'm actually absolutely buzzing about it you you I've switched teams I'm saying it to the world <laughs> I was a Dortmund fan but I don't know how you can be a Canadian footy fan well I do because like you have it's loyalty a little bit but and not not and like see alfonso davies 
banging goals and and just like warming up in beside Alba and all of these guys like and they're bigging him up and I don't know how that cannot make you a Bayern fan it's amazing like me I, as a kid growing up I love soccer I love football Bayern Manu all of that that was like those were like the teams man and now for like Canadian kids to like be able to go on Bayern Munich and front and center see someone who's not too much older than them. That's the crazy thing. He's like not too much older than like 14, 15, 16 year olds who are always mm-hmm. on on like on Instagram and see him putting in work. That's going to do so well for the game and that's going to like make so many people Bayern fans like me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh John Herdman always kind of said that Canada soccer needed uh, something like a Sidney Crosby of soccer and this is definitely what kind of Alfonso Davies can be so it's yeah it's pretty awesome and and obviously going to be an important step going forward it's it's still going to be interesting I guess to see what kind of role he plays for the team just because um you know it's such an amazing team and they're they're constantly bringing in players I mean they're bringing in uh is it Hudson Adoy or whatever the young Chelsea player's name is and he's pretty sweet too so um it's going to be very tough for Alfonso but uh I know a lot of people kind of you know, we're kind of looking down on this move and that he moved up too quickly, too fast. But no, I think I think this is the exact kind of spot a young player like Davies has to be just because, um, you know, it's going to push him to that next level. And obviously that's incredibly exciting going into well, realistically the most important years in Canadian soccer history coming up over the next few as they build towards that home World Cup. Oh, yeah, I, like it's it's I think I don't think the timing I think the timing is, is perfect. He's is he? even 18 yet yeah he turned 18 so now oh hey that's why he that's why he had to go in january right yeah exactly yeah so um he's 18 he's going midway through the season um (coughs) byron's having a decent season but they're not having an amazing season by their standards so like Mm -hmm. there's the opportunity is going to be there for him this season to play hopefully get a few minutes in and if not, they can loan him out. Like I, I would not be mad if they loaned him out at like when he's twenty or something. Lets him play somewhere else, gets even better, comes back, and just puts in work. Like this is the this is the perfect time. It it, it gives him more opportunities to possibly be loaned out and get other top quality competition, and then come back to Bayern and play Champions League. Like, a Canadian yeah. star, like, I know our keeper plays in Champions League, but, like, Alfonso Davies... And Atiba, don't forget about And Atiba, sorry, is in Champions League. But, like, Alfonso Davies, like, that's crazy, man. That's that's wild. <laughs> well, I think we'll, uh, I think we'll wrap things up there. Um, Let's get it. You know, yeah, you know, it's it's been a big year for... Um, for Canadian soccer, so hopefully uh, 2019 will be even bigger. Obviously, the Gold Cup coming up this summer, and uh, a lot of exciting things uh, to build on that. Obviously, the Women's World Cup too. So that's um, going to be we'll, wild, bro. Yeah, yeah. The, Canada's looking decent going into both of those competitions. I'll just say that. So it's going to be um, a lot of fun to to cover on this show. And but that'll bring us to the end of. This week's edition, Tagwa, uh, thanks for coming back on. Uh, we'll have to have you on again, maybe once TFC drops their new kit for this season, uh, which I've seen some leaks of, so we'll see. It looks we'll trash. See if that's the I hope that's kit. not it. It looks like a yeah. warm-up kit. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sorry. But 
Yeah, no worries. Uh, I, I I definitely agree. I just, yeah, like I said, I'm not 100% sure that's the case yet, but uh, we'll find out shortly. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, the MLS draft is on Friday, so uh, three Canadians expected to go pretty high in that process. Uh, so we'll be sure to cover that on next week's podcast. Until then, have a good week.